The talk tonight is on courageous love or compassion. It is said that if you remove compassion from the teachings of the Buddha, you remove the heart of the teachings. And compassion is described by people who actually do the practice and experience what it is as a love that is courageous. It is an aspect of the basic kindness of metta, of the metta practice that we do, that turns to and opens to suffering in ourselves and suffering in the world, suffering in others. And when it's able to turn towards it and be with it, it's able to realize the truth of it beyond the illusion. We begin to see through this courageous love that kindness and love are stronger than suffering, that they are healing forces, and that they lead to freedom. This is a quote from Gandhi that's always inspired me. When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love has always won. There have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time, they can seem invincible. But in the end, they always fall, always. I've come to see that through my own practice in the world and practice on the sitting cushion, that if it weren't for compassion, I wouldn't be able to open to the noble truth of suffering. And if it weren't for the noble truth of suffering, I would not be able to activate this compassion that's a seed in my heart, which can open us in a very deep way to wisdom. It's through compassion that we can allow ourselves to experience the pain of being human. We can accept that without shutting down or striking out. There's a lot of pain, of course, in this world. It doesn't take us very long to see that. We don't have to go very far to see that. Just looking in our own hearts, we can see it quite clearly. How do we come to terms with that? We can't come to terms with that in any logical way, but maybe with the love that is compassion we can, with courageous love we can. When we open to the chaos of this world, whether it be in the outward world or the inner world of our minds and our hearts, compassion asks us, can we allow ourselves to feel the vulnerability and the insecurity of being human, of this changing world? Can we allow ourselves to feel tender and broken and not to touch it with the violence of this condemning mind? Can we hold this pain in ourselves and in others like we might hold a crying child with that kind of tenderness without trying to get rid of it or to fix it in any way, but just to hold it tenderly 
with that kind of loving understanding. We might sometimes, and many times, we're not able to do this. We end up drowning in the pain, or closing down, or pushing it away with more cruelty. Compassion is an important training because it helps us, it teaches us to live wisely with the vulnerability of change in this world, with the insecurity of this world. This is a poem from David White, um, author and poet from the Northwest. It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you belong or you feel abandoned if you know despair and can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in this world with its harsh need to change you, if you can look with firm eyes, saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling down towards the center of your longing, I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequences of love. Can we melt into that fierce heat of living is what compassion asks us. Can we allow ourselves to open to the consequences that come with loving? True love doesn't choose, I will only love this because it's agreeable to me, because it's pleasant. True love, which is unconditional, opens to all of life with a wisdom, with knowing how to respond in that moment. It's this kind of courageous love that allows us to open to the deepest, most liberating truth of life. And without it, we wouldn't get very far. We might have a dry understanding of how things are, but we wouldn't be able to live in this world with the deeper freedom that comes with the balance of love and wisdom. It's a kind of care and love that helps us face our vulnerability in life in a deeply intimate way. This is compassion. And when we're able to do that, to face our vulnerabilities, our insecurities, it actually strengthens us. It makes us stronger with life. We experience through that depth and strength the truth of how things are. And then we begin to align ourselves in our lives with that truth instead of resisting it, which is what we usually do. The Buddha was a realist. Oftentimes, you know, because of the first noble truth, It sounds so pessimistic, you know, life is suffering, is how it usually is translated, very poorly translated. The Buddha taught the middle path. He did not try to make our understanding of life rosy, nor was it really pessimistic. The first noble truth uh, in Pali is dukkha satcha which means the truth of suffering. And so when I heard that, when I heard the talk for the very first time on the first noble truth, 
I was so relieved. In a way, I was so happy to hear that where the Buddha was starting was where I could relate to. Not in some off foreign heavenly place, but from a place where my understanding was actually residing. And I could understand this, the first noble truth of suffering. The Buddha said it like it is. If you want to open your heart, if you want to be free, it requires accepting this first noble truth and understanding it deeply. This is how things are. When we stop resisting this truth, we can see more deeply. We see it very intimately. We see its empty nature. It's kind of hard to understand this, but compassion allows us to get so close to a moment of suffering that we no longer see it as some kind of force that can overcome us. We realize through that insight that we can be free from that suffering. And this is why it's called the noble truth of suffering, because it's that insight, that very deep insight into the wisdom of how things are that makes it noble, that makes us noble. Of all the Brahma-viharas, and compassion is one of them, there's metta, or loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Of all of these four Brahma-viharas, compassion is most like mindfulness, mindful awareness, because it has the ability to be with, to face, to turn to, and to actually understand deeply what pain is all about. It is said that compassion transforms suffering, not so much out there in the world, but it transforms it in our hearts. The only place we can really make that transformation, the only place where it's really worthwhile to begin. We may not be able to change the world, but there is a definite possibility of changing our hearts, of freeing our hearts. The chaos and inequities of the world may not go away, but our relationship to it will not be chaotic. And so that's what the transformation is all about. It transforms our relationship. Compassion transforms our relationship to the chaos of the world. Instead of relating to the world as in a confused or aversive way or a greedy way. We relate to it with compassion and clarity, seeing how it truly is, doing what we can, letting go of the result of that action. So instead of responding to the ignorance and chaos of the world by adding more anger, and more ignorance, we can let that go. We can respond in a genuinely healing way. We can see that by responding through ignorance, through anger, only creates more danger in the world. It's said that compassion supports the purification of the heart because it 
helps to transform hatred into love. It helps to transform greed into generosity. And it transforms delusion into clarity, into seeing how things truly are. Sometimes we use the phrase, uh, may I be free from danger, when we do the uh, compassion practice. And, of course, when we relate to the danger part of that phrase, there are the obvious dangers of the world, but there is sometimes the not-so-obvious danger and the danger that's closest to us of the dangers of greed, hatred, and delusion. And this is what compassion brings us more closely to, with a kind of tenderness, an ability to be with it clearly without pushing it away. There's a story that I took out of the latest, uh, the May edition of the Shambhala Sun. There were two stories in there that really inspired me. Uh, They were written by Richard Gere during his, one of his uh, recent visits to Tibet. And each of these stories depicts a very cute sensitivity to the dangers that reside in our own heart, which we don't have a very clear ability to see sometimes. So I'd like to read this first story. Uh, This is in Richard's words. The Dalai Lama told a story of being visited by a monk he had known in Tibet prior to 1959. His Holiness remembered him as quite an ordinary monk, like many others in the monastery. The man recently escaped from Tibet after serving more than 20 years in prison. His crime, being a monk. Concerned, His Holiness the Dalai Lama asked him how his treatment had been in prison. And the monk replied that he had been in danger. Fearing the worst, the Dalai Lama asked if he had been tortured. Yes, replied the monk, but that's not what I meant. I meant I was in danger of feeling anger. His Holiness said he had to reevaluate his opinion of the monk. He was much more developed than he had thought. And it was because of this monk's ability to face that danger of anger in his own heart that this incredible compassion arose for himself and therefore for those around him. No doubt the monk knew well the danger of anger, but it's interesting how when we see it in ourselves, when we can be really honest, then we can know it for others as well. When we can be that honest to see the truth of it in ourselves and to go even more deeply beyond just the seeing of its existence, but to see what that really is, how ephemeral it is, how unsolid it is, how it doesn't have to move us in the world when we're unconscious of it. When we see how it is for ourselves, then we can see it for others and the boundaries dissolve. 
and our interconnectedness with all of life is deeper and it's much more genuine. The Dalai Lama said once, there will be a measure of hypocrisy to your compassion if you cannot feel the suffering in your own heart that isn't the hearts of others. It's by actually opening to the suffering in our own hearts that we know how it is for others. And it gives us a kind of tenderness, yet strength, that we need to deal with it. This is an old story about my daughter. And um, of course, my Dharma stories come from my family, which is uh, the way that my Dharma and my heart evolves. So this is a story about my eldest daughter, Rona, who's had a really difficult time in her life. She has a daughter also by the name of Shalia. And um, one time she called me several years ago, and she called me from the hospital. She was in the hospital and said that she was hurt and my granddaughter was hurt. And she wanted me to go to California and to help her. And I asked her what had happened, and she didn't want to tell me the whole story. But she said that she was hurt, and her daughter was hurt by her husband. And so um, I did the best I could to get on a plane to get out of there. And on the way over, of course, all kinds of angry and rageful thoughts went through my mind. And not just my mind, but I felt it in my body. I actually wanted and thought and saw myself strangling, you know, this person. And so I went to help her out, and the police report was in. The hospital made a police report, but he was not yet picked up. And so um, he was at the house when I went to help my daughter, and we had to keep it a secret that I was going to help her leave. And so we had to wait for him to leave the house in order for us to pack up. And he was going to leave the house at about um, 9.30 on his way to work. And so during that time, it just took all my strength to be with the anger in my own heart, you know, and to just let it be and to not react and to not also fall in pity for my daughter, to not act out with cruelty towards uh, my son-in-law, but to keep my heart open with courage, with tenderness, and with strength. And so we got everything together and uh, we left probably at four in the morning just before he was coming home. We saw him passing on the highway and we were on our way to the airport. We had everything packed up. My daughter was hobbling around and, um, and I was carrying my granddaughter and you know trying to get ourselves on the plane, just totally tired out. And when we were on the plane, my daughter Rona said to me, she started telling me how he had been abused as a child, which didn't make things right, I knew that. But as soon as I heard that, somehow 
there was some kind of connection to him that was deeper than before, that the compassion in my heart could be more tender and open to what was happening. And all of a sudden I realized that the rage and anger in my own heart, the the habitual kind of unconscious prompting there is to react with cruelty was not very different from what he felt. It was the same. Maybe he acted it out and I had some kind of wherewithal not to do that. But um, the basic rage, the basic cruelty was no different. And that realization deeply connected me to how painful it was to be in that heart, to be in that kind of body. And so my own anger in reactivity to his, I knew, was not the answer. It would only continue that chain of delusion, that chain of ignorance, and that chain of cruelty in the world. And the only way that I could break it in my own heart was not out there, not by fixing him, but through being compassionate myself to what was going on in a deeper way than I was. That's what could break that chain of ignorance, that chain of cruelty. Compassion doesn't make the atrocities of this world right. It doesn't make it disappear. It just stops them from continuing in our own hearts. And that's a big thing. When we can stop it from continuing in our own hearts, it's no small thing. It disarms anger. Compassion disarms anger. Interwoven in compassion are so many qualities that help us to live more wisely in this world. Not just courage and love, but understanding, patience, tolerance, knowing how it might be walking in another person's moccasins, as they say. The Dalai Lama calls this connection and this understanding with tolerance an inner disarmament. And so we might not be able to, you know, push for or help the disarmament of the atomic bombs in this world, but we can do that with the atomic bomb inside. Bit by bit it can be disarmed. I would have reacted with much more cruelty had I not uh, come into that deeper understanding. It's said that the far enemy of compassion is cruelty. It's striking out with hatred to what is painful because we ourselves can't handle the pain of it. We can't allow ourselves to feel the pain deeply and see into its deeper nature. Because we can't do that, we need to get rid of it. And somehow we get rid of it by taking it and using that energy to strike out with cruelty. So cruelty is the far enemy, it is said, of compassion. 
I find that we can still, you know, we don't need that energy of cruelty or aversion or strong reactivity to take action in this world. We can take action towards peace, towards harmony, with wisdom, and with uh, deeper clarity and wisdom than if that the ignorance of cruelty and aversion is there. So compassion doesn't condone the wrongdoing of this world, but it just doesn't add to it. And that's a really big thing. Sometimes we need to take compassionate action in the world because we see that that's a thing to do with wisdom. But sometimes we see more deeply that it's better not to act. It's better to refrain from acting or speaking. And in a way, this is compassionate action too, even though it's not the action of doing something, but it's the action of being something. So, this one small example of how recently this has worked, and I've seen how this can happen. And, you know, much of our lives, if we can refrain from doing what is uh, cruel or of reacting, if we can just simply refrain from doing in the world and just be in the world, we do much more good than we think. So here's a daily life example. As my youngest daughter, Therese, was going through her teenage years, which were mostly, you know, age 14 through 18, um, the hell realm of motherhood (laughs) for me. (laughs) It wasn't exactly that disastrous, I have to say. It was pretty average, but, you know, it's hard when you're sensitive. And uh, it's hard when your heart's open, but that's the way it is. You know, she was going through all the social pressures of her life, asserting her individuality in the only way that she knew how, by pushing me away, which was really painful. And of course, there's all those hormonal changes that are so primal that we go through in life, you know, that take us to the next place in our life, that we're taking her into her womanhood very strong. It seemed that whatever I did or whatever I said, it would just lead to an argument. You know, it didn't matter. I could have the most compassionate way of looking at it, but to her, I was wrong. You know, she always had to take the opposite way. And it got just more and more hurtful for me, of course. And so, I was also going through these hormonal primal changes, you know. <laughs> it's awful, you know, when when the both women of the family are going through that. You know, everybody's, she's going through a passage, I'm going through a passage, and I didn't know if the, you know, the heat was a heat of anger or the heat of a hot flash. <laughs> so it was just really confusing during that time. So. It was just going into, you know, all these fluctuations or these, this hormonal stuff. I mean, why deny it? It's, it's what most of us are going through, so I might as well talk about it. Um, just going through this passage, through being a woman, 
and seeing how it is, that if this is the way it is for my mind and body and heart, and I'm, I've been going through this, you know, for a long time already, years and years and years, all the hormonal stuff that we go through, and I'm fairly familiar with the terrain. Think about how it is for her. It's just incredibly challenging for her. And so just realizing how sensitive I was and how at the mercy I was to all these, these changing and raging hormones in my own body, she must be feeling it too. So, you know, over and over again I had the thought, how it is here in my own body and heart is how it is for her. And it just helped me to open a little more with compassion to what was going on for both of us. And it was a time to work on compassion, not just for myself, not just for her, but for the both of us together. And, you know, it, w- it would really help to include both of us in the compassion practice at once, just as I wish to be free from danger. May you also be free from danger, knowing that deeply that is our wish, beyond and before you know, all of this difficulty. So I decided to refrain from just speaking too much to her, which would lead to any, th- any argument, you know, any way that she could push me away, that's what she did. So I just kept my heart open and let her know of my own pain in a balanced way, you know, without wrenching in my pain, but letting her know that it hurt when she did that, and it maybe, you know, it gave her the, the courage to be truthful with me once in a while about her own pain. And it did once in a while, but, <laughs> you know, mostly she turned to her friends. And I felt the distance, which hurt me a lot. But I kept her close to my heart, even though, and I didn't know if that you know, letting her go through that, but keeping her close to my heart would further distance us. But it was the only way I could handle it, and um, it was the only way that I trusted. So last, at the end of last year, on my 51st birthday, she sent me a, a card. And I wish I had the card here, and I called her today to ask her, you know, what was in that card, just so I, I said the right thing. And so she said, I can't remember exactly, Mom, but it was something like this. I thanked you for letting me know all the time, over and over, that you loved me, even when I wasn't so nice to you. You let me know that. And even when I pushed you away. And actually, that made me closer to you. And it deepened our friendship. And so sometimes it's the refraining you know, from, from acting with compassion that is compassionate, that touches into something more <coughs> deep than action, compassionate action in the world. There's something very profound about compassionate being in the world. Working with compassion gives us the trust of knowing that we can open to how things are. We can find the courage and tenderness to be in this harsh world. 
it takes both that courage, that strength and tenderness. I saw a movie not too long ago that was a simply horrible movie, but the only redeeming thing about it was one phrase. And that phrase was, um, this woman in the, in the movie was saying, I'm not strong enough to be vulnerable. And compassion allows us, you know, to hold strength and vulnerability in one breath, in one moment. One time I asked my teacher, Manindra, one of my teachers, and I found this in one of my journals not too long ago. I asked the question when I was much younger, why does it hurt so much sometimes in this practice? And I wrote down his answer, because your heart is disentangling, the tangle is disentangling. And as I lived that, you know, I didn't understand it really at that time, but I lived it through my practice. I came to see that when we open, it exposes the places that are hard to be with. It exposes the truth of life and how things are. This I like to read from uh, one of my favorite books recently, Rilke's Book of Hours, Love Poems to God. This is uh, particularly treasurable to me because it's, it was translated by two women, Anita Barrows and Joanna Macy. So I'd like to read from this about that. I believe in all that has never yet been spoken. I want to free what waits within me so that what no one has dared to wish for may for once spring clear without my contriving. I want to unfold, let no place in me hold itself closed, for where I am closed, I am false. And I feel this deeply, you know, the courage to see what is yet unseen, to free what has yet been unfreed, to surround with tenderness what I formerly surrounded with misunderstanding and cruelty. We learn with compassion that we can use that energy of cruelty we can use that energy of keeping closed down because it takes energy to remain closed. We can use that to open, to not resist how things are, to work with what we have in life instead of using that energy to keep dreaming up of what we want, you know, all the planning, the wanting that we do. We can use that energy to be in this present moment, just as it is, joy and sorrow. It's a matter of experiencing reality, joy and sorrow, with an open heart. 
I read a Tibetan text that translated the Sanskrit word for compassion, which is karuna, as noble heart. Karuna, noble heart, compassion, noble heart. It's a heart that has opened to the noble truth. It's described in the text as the quivering of the heart that moves towards the alleviation of suffering. This is how compassion is described. I love that description because um, it talks about something that we feel so thoroughly that we feel it in our bodies. We feel the actual quivering. We feel it not just in our, we know it not just in our heads, but we know it deeply in our hearts, in our bodies. In order for us to feel it that way, there has to be a lot of equanimity, a lot of that kind of balance, spacious stillness that has a lot of stability to it. We can't open to that suffering, to that quivering of the heart, unless there is equanimity there. There's a phrase we use sometimes when we do the compassion practice, I care about this pain. I care about this pain. The traditional phrase is, may I or you be free from your pain or your sorrow. But sometimes we use this phrase because it's, it's easier to have the word care in there. May I care about this pain or I care about your pain. And so in the spaciousness that is part of equanimity, we're able to hold both of those understandings, both of those ways of being, of reality. We're able to know and to experience deeply the caring, the tenderness, the kindness, the love. And we're also able to know the pain the suffering. But in the balance of equanimity, we're not lost or we're not drowning in the pain. We're not engulfed by it, but we're balanced with the care of our understanding, of our tenderness towards it. So that's really important that we're, our energy is centered in the care and not engulfed in the, uh, in the pain of it. Here's the next story by Richard Gere that was in that very same May edition of the Shambhala Sun. And this really touched me deeply. Now, when I read this, I'm not advocating that we all have this kind of radical approach or radical expression of compassionate action in the world. But this story, what this story does is it helps us to understand or to see the far-reaching dimensions of compassion and how one can express it in this world because of the deep understanding of it. So this is an excerpt from a bigger piece. On our last day in Lhasa, I visited a small shrine near the edge of the city. I found two nuns there reciting mantras. 
The older one was not well physically or mentally, and I inquired as to the reason. Reluctantly, the younger one told me that they had recently been released from prison. What offense? I asked. Carrying a free Tibet flag, she said. I asked how she had been treated. She remained silent, feeling that it was unimportant. I asked again. Not looking up, she answered that all the sisters had been stripped naked, and on and on. I won't give the details here. And a few had died. The older nun survived, but her mind and body had given out, and she wandered in the yard talking to herself. I asked the younger nun what she did with the rage she must have felt towards her torturers. She took a deep breath and looked off into the distance. No, she said. No, it's much larger than that. If he didn't do it, he probably couldn't feed his family. He doesn't know what he's doing. I pray for his future existence. I asked what she would do next. She said, I will rest up, then I will carry the banner again. Then I will be arrested and beaten again. Then I will carry the banner again, and one of those days I will die. It's that kind of, I mean, that's quite radical, but it's that kind of deep understanding of compassion that we can have, that we do our practice not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all beings. And this is where that bodhicitta vow of, I do my practice not just for myself, but for the benefit of all beings comes from. It's from this deep understanding of compassion. Someone told me in a, recently, uh, in a recent interview that she had tears when she opened to the pain. And the tears were not because of the heartache that she opened to, but because she could feel the tenderness of her heart around it. And it was such a relief her to be able to center her energy in the care towards the pain and not get lost in the pain, where she could feel the tenderness of her own compassionate heart and not drown in the suffering. This kind of care frees us from the prison of our old habits of acting, of reacting with cruelty. It helps us to see the true nature of that suffering, that it's not personal, that it's universal, that it's impersonal. And the barriers in that universal understanding begin to dissolve, and our deep interconnectedness of life is born from that. Sometimes we experience the understanding of no self through the experience of no separate self. And when we see how deeply we are interconnected, we begin to realize that how could we be anything else but compassionate 
in this world. Because what we do in the world, we do to ourselves. We see the great web of life. It's said that the Dharma has two wings, compassion and wisdom. And one without the other, when we have one without the other, our spiritual life is incomplete. And we need both. And each one serves the other and deepens the other. It is said that what, if we ground our practice in compassion, we won't attain our highest pot- potential just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all beings. So this is why we do this practice, why it's so important. I'd like to end with this uh, passage from Kabir. It's about our deep interconnectedness through courageous love, through knowing how it is within ourselves That's how it is in everyone's heart. And through this kind of understanding, we empty ourselves into something greater than ourselves. This love between us goes back to the first humans. True love has no beginning. It has no ending. Deeply, Look deeply at this great love. It cannot be annihilated. It cannot be annihilated. As the river weaves itself to the sea, what's inside of you moves also inside of me. So let's sit for a moment and let the words dissolve. May we dedicate our practice, the opening of our hearts, the training of our minds, the being with things just as they are, for the happiness, the benefit, and the liberation of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.